From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we're excited to share the fifth episode in our ongoing series on innovation in conversation with leading innovators across a range of industries. To date, our series has featured interviews with the former vice chair of GE, Beth Comstock, Canadian entrepreneur, investor, and star of TV's Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary, Nigel Hughes, the leader of research and development at the Kellogg Company, as well as Simon Mulcahy, Chief Innovation Officer of Salesforce.com. Today, our senior partner, Eric Roth, who leads our innovation work globally, talks with Anjali Sood, CEO of Vimeo, about her experience reinventing the online video platform's business model. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Eric, over to you. Thank you, Sean. We're really excited to bring you a new episode of the Committed Innovator Series. Anjali Sood is our guest today. She is the CEO of Vimeo. She started at Vimeo in 2014 as the Director of Marketing and then eventually took the helm as CEO in 2017. She worked at Amazon for four years and spent several years in media at Time Warner and investment banking in the media sector doing a lot of mergers and acquisitions work. She was on Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40 list and we're super excited to have her on our podcast series today. Thank you, Anjali, for joining us and welcome. Thank you, Eric. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's talk about your journey. Where did you start and how did you get to Vimeo? So I've had a pretty windy career path. And candidly, I never thought of myself as an innovator and certainly not as an entrepreneur. I started my career in investment banking in mergers and acquisitions. I spent several years at Time Warner at right when there was sort of an unbundling of technology and media companies, uh, and then ended up spending most of my career before Vimeo at Amazon, where I did get to experience a lot of different functions and jobs. You know, when I came to Vimeo, I came to Vimeo to run marketing. So it was a very, you know, sort of standard traditional job. I was a director of marketing. There was a clear hierarchy of folks above me. And I never thought that three years later, I would be stepping in as CEO to actually pivot the platform pretty substantially from what it had been. So in many ways, I am not the traditional innovator, though I'm quite proud of the amount of innovation that Vimeo has has led in the last few years. If you could share what lessons you took away from your time at Amazon that really helped you succeed as you got to Vimeo, I think everyone would be really interested to know what, what those were. So I've had a really positive experience at Amazon. It was an incredible learning platform for me in my career. And I took a lot of the company's values with me when I came to Vimeo. But the two that probably stand out the most, you know, this first one won't surprise you, but customer obsession, obviously something Amazon is known for. But what I remember distinctly about that was two things. One, it uh, we'd always start with the customer. You'd start by writing a press release of what the experience would be like for a customer before you even build a product. And two, the the willingness to forego near-term profit in order to fundamentally improve the value prop for a customer. These are two things that I think have a lot of applicability for Vimeo as a platform. The other sort of aspect of Amazon's culture that uh, I took with me was this sort of ethos of continuous 
improvement. So the internal tooling at Amazon, the sort of way everything was designed to become operationalized and scalable, and there's a constant desire to increase efficiency of every single thing that you did. And this is an area where I think it's hard for smaller companies to master, but especially as we scale, I see the value of it more and more because the more you can do that, the more you get out of every ounce of someone's energy. So before we get to Vimeo, let's talk about your switch from large company to startup. What was it about a startup like Vimeo that attracted you to a role that was so vastly different than investment banking and a big you know, engine like Amazon or some of the other experiences you had? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I always define my experience at companies like Amazon in terms of learning. I learned so much. And when I went to Vimeo, it was because I was really interested in impact. I wanted to be in a smaller company where I could have a more outsized impact on that company's future. And I was so drawn to Vimeo, and it was for three reasons. The first was Vimeo was in video, and I just felt like video was going to go through the kind of disruption that e-commerce had gone through 10 years before. And where there is disruption, there is opportunity. Second reason I went to Vimeo was because I was intrigued by its business model. The time Vimeo was the only video platform, open video platform out there that didn't make money from advertising. So instead of letting anyone watch content for free and then charging advertisers, Vimeo was charging a subscription fee to the creators, the folks behind the camera to access their professional tools. It was really the business model that would then become a SaaS or software as a service model that we all know today. But at the time, it was very early. And I just thought, I didn't know if that was going to be a successful model. I didn't know if it could scale. But I was intrigued that here was a company that was doing things differently. And I liked the idea that the model was designed to have long-term relationships with customers. Um, and then look, the third reason I went was because uh, I'm a big believer in working for brands that inspire passion among their users. I, I was so drawn to Vimeo because it had this incredibly organic, creative community and following. And again, I didn't really know what that would mean or translate to, but I knew that was a great foundation upon which to build a great company. So we've now said the word Vimeo many times throughout this discussion. What exactly is Vimeo for everyone listening? Vimeo is the world's largest professional video platform and community, and I will define it in terms of what it is not. We are not a media company. We are a technology company. We are not a viewing destination. We are a SaaS platform that helps anyone create and distribute and succeed with video anywhere that they want. Uh, whether that's on social media platforms or their websites, anywhere on the internet. So we really think of ourselves as the mission control that's powering the ability for every professional, every team, and every organization in the world to use video to communicate. And, you know, you can imagine yeah. that's been even more relevant since the pandemic when we all are now suddenly forced to communicate remotely. But it's been wonderful to see the power of video used uh, in the last few months. Now, you referenced earlier a pivot. Can you tell me a little bit about this pivot and what happened to get Vimeo from where it was to what you just described today, which is very different? Yeah, so Vimeo is a 15-year-old platform. And when I joined six years ago, 
the company was pursuing a very different strategy. We were actually looking at investing in original content and trying to build a competitor to Netflix and Amazon. Granted, this was at a time when that market wasn't nearly as crowded as it is today. So I joined the company uh, really at a time when that was the goal. And interestingly, what happened is as we were working to build this content play, I myself and a group of employees sort of developed a, a perspective that we didn't think that was what was so what was the exciting move for Vimeo. And what we, we started to see organically on the platform was a lot of businesses were coming to the platform organically. We weren't marketing to them. We didn't have tools for them. But there were more and more businesses, every nonprofits, small businesses, startups, marketers, agencies, who were all kind of coming and using our tools in ways we hadn't necessarily intended. And we developed a thesis that the same way that video was once only created by Hollywood studios, and then it became created by consumers on our phones with social media, the next era of video was going to be businesses and organizations using video to communicate externally to their customers and internally to their employees. We created a sort of startup or incubator within Vimeo. Our board and investors gave me a team of 50 people and a year to build some tools that follow this strategy and see what happened. And in that year, we launched a, a product called Vimeo Business. We saw incredible traction and results on the platform from users. And at the end of that year, we all said, hey, you know what? This is a huge market. It's a huge opportunity. Let's forget this content play because there's lots of players there. And, and let's focus here. It leans into our strengths. It's something no one else is doing and we think it could be huge. And when we decided that, um, our investor said, hey, Anjali, you know what? You've been championing this, this internally. We'll let you run it. So that's amazing. And you just described this journey from like mini CEO to actual CEO of a company, which very few, I think, successfully achieve. But I want to come back and unpack what you just shared. It started with the discovery of a set of insights within your existing user base. So what was the way that you actually uncovered these valuable problems to solve that these business customers were coming to the, the former Vimeo platform to uh, find a solution. My job coming in in the head of marketing was really to understand who our customers were so we could speak to them better and attract more of them. And so one of the first things I did was dive into the data. Who was using our tools? What were they using the most? When people filled out customer satisfaction surveys, what did they like? What didn't they like? When our subscribers left us, where were they going? And through that data, it became clear that the fastest growing segment of customers were businesses and specifically smaller businesses. Businesses that didn't have budgets to spend on video. Businesses that didn't have video and storytelling expertise. Uh, folks that didn't have time. They're running a small business and they were just trying to think about how to market and reach their customers online. And they were struggling with the fact that if you want to have a message get prioritized in Facebook's algorithm, it needs to have video. And so that data really helped sort of point the compass. But data alone doesn't really provide insight. The other really important unlock is just talking to your customers. I used to go to uh, trade shows back when, when we were traveling to trade shows and just 
work the booth, you know, and, and be there to answer customer questions, point them in the right direction, talk about our, the products we were offering. And those conversations were the ones where it really clicked for me. It was sort of seeing the data and combining it with the anecdotes, the human conversations that build the empathy for really what the problem is. And, and what I saw was, wow, there's this huge disconnect between the supply and demand here. Every small business, if you ask them, do I want to be using video in my marketing? 100% will say yes. But but if you look at how many are, it's an insignificant percentile. And the reason is because it's too hard, it's too complicated, it's too expensive, it's too time-consuming. And that was really the, the beginnings of, of the strategy was realizing there is a supply-demand imbalance. And hey, Vimeo could actually really solve that because we could build technology and tools that were very complex and professional. They were designed for the filmmaker, but we could actually do it in an intuitive user experience at an affordable price point that could make it accessible to an entrepreneur. So, so basically you uncovered through these, these personal interactions uh, a real frustration point. You, these small businesses were, were trying to get something done to, to support their own business goals but couldn't find a solution. And that frustration, I think if I understood you correctly, could only have been seen by combining the actual usage behavioral data in your platform with those conversations. Is, is that true? Could you have possibly seen it by just looking at the data? You can always identify a problem to be solved with sort of theoretically, right? With a whiteboard and data. But that's not a strategy. The way I think about a strategy is it's, is there a problem to be solved? It is, a, is it a mission critical problem that needs to be solved? And can you solve it better than anybody else? And I think the first part you can usually kind of develop with data and sort of a theory, but that the rest really requires understanding your customers and your users. And it also requires understanding the industry. What's happening in the world around you? You know, the, probably the other lens or sort of insight in all of this was the fact that social media platforms were becoming the number one way for anyone to reach their customers online. Zuckerberg was out there saying, I'm going to like prioritize video above text and images because it's more engaging. Right. And so it was sort of pairing what you're seeing in the market with what your users are saying are their pain points. But, you know, true innovation, you have you have to be the one to bring the solution to your users. They're not going to tell you exactly what to build. You need to be in there. You need to be constantly talking to users. You need to be thinking ahead, not just of what they need today, but what they'll need tomorrow. And then you got to put stuff out there and, and then iterate and learn to make it better. So you've got this, this valuable problem to solve in your hand. You've got a technology platform that requires some changing and you've got this business context that looks like there's this looming disruption. So how do you then go to your board and pitch? I want to go be incubating a new business inside our business that might actually disrupt ourselves. Yeah. Look, I think you need a set of investors on a board that is open to that, that it will take risks in pursuit of big markets. And I think Vimeo is fortunate. It's owned by parent company IAC, which is Barry Diller's internet and media company. And you know, he has a track record, I think, of, of, of making bets and gutsy moves. And that definitely helps. But look, the lens through which we always talked about the opportunity was, first and foremost, it's a huge market that's early. There was a lot of work we had to do to show that because the skeptic would have said, well, really, is a small business really going to make a video for Instagram? 
Are they really going to pay you to do that? Do they really care? And, you know, that's where having the data that you see on your platform internally helps. But the reality is, uh, I don't think if I had pitched IAC and said, make this the company strategy day one, they would have said no. And this is where, you know, the idea of kind of proving it, breaking it down into a smaller risk and a smaller investment and saying, hey, let's treat this like an incubator or a startup. And it's low risk for you because we've got another strategy we're working on. This isn't going to distract from that. 90% of the resources are focused on this other thing. But let us just go and do stuff. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And once you you can show tangible results, people will bet on you. And what kind of results were the ones that your board was most excited about that got them to put more resources and, and capital behind your efforts? Yeah, so... Of course, there's always this sort of standard outputs, you know, things like subscribers and bookings and revenue numbers. And those things were important, of course. But actually, I will never forget, I think the stat that everybody rallied around the most was our net promoter score, our our indicator of customer satisfaction. Because what we found was by just having this little 50-person team, I think we had 12 engineers, maybe 15 engineers, But just having the small group spend a year building products, we were able to double our net promoter score. And that's where people get excited because if you believe the market in the future will be big and you really believe that you can build things to delight customers, to truly make them happy, you can figure the rest out. You can figure out pricing. You can figure out how to go to market. You can figure out how to drive revenue. I think that was really the sort of galvanizing turning point for us in getting everyone excited. So now you're CEO and you've got this new business model that you need to take from incubate to scale. What are the things you've put in place at Vimeo to ensure that the business model is scaling, this innovative spirit that you embody continues to be alive so that Vimeo not only gets to be successful in the business model that you're pursuing, but you know continues to evolve and innovate as it goes forward? Yeah. It's a great question. It's probably the most critical part of, of my job today. And look, we've scaled a lot in the last three years. We've tripled, more than tripled the team, more than tripled our, our revenue. And we've done acquisitions. So it's not just a gradual change. It's step function change. And suddenly overnight, you've got hundreds more people in a different culture and a different business model. So there's definitely been a lot that sort of forced us very quickly at a high velocity to adjust. But today, the way the sort of mechanisms that we use to try and drive innovation are as follows. One, the same way that I, as a director of marketing, could spot an opportunity because I was the closest to the data and the closest to the users, we try and ensure that when we come up with our our plans, we're really trying to not have it be tops down and not have it be um, ideas coming from the executive team and really trying to include um, the sort of the folks who are our product managers, our marketers, our sales teams, our customer support folks, the people who are going to be closest to spotting the trends. Another thing is, is just creating the right framework. So we used to do our, our sort of strategic planning in a very kind of what, what is the financial impact of this going to be next year? That used to be sort of the main output. But now we've really reoriented that to be more about, is this an interesting market? 
what problem are we going to solve? Is it mission critical? And can we solve it better than anyone else? And, and that kind of framework, using it for sort of the people who are closest to what's happening, empowering them to think that way. Uh, when they're making decisions about priorities and trade-offs and resource, resource allocation, I think is a great way to kind of avoid that incrementalism trap where we can all just start to, to just only iterate in terms of what we see in front of us. Another thing that we do is I spend a lot of my time understanding what's happening in the market. So I speak with probably three startups in the space a week in every kind of video technology you can imagine. Some of them are our potential competitors. Some of them we might be interested in partnering with, but others it's just getting to know founders, understanding what problems they're solving, what kind of trends are they seeing in the market. And that is extremely helpful to really picking up on on trends. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is we have our own version of a hackathon called Vimeo Jam. And, you know, it's a, it's again, it's creating space where people are encouraged to think about things that are outside of their normal job. So we, when we used to run our, our hackathons or our Vimeo jams, what, I, what we would find is everyone would use the time to build products or ship code or resolve bugs that were on their backlog. But that's not the point of it. The point is to actually explicitly do something that you would never, ever, ever think about or have the space to do in your normal job. You know, never did we look at those as, okay, it's a, it's a one week hackathon and let's see how many products come out of it. It's more about collaborating, sharing ideas, coming up with strings that we can then sort of flesh out later when we're looking at our strategy. I think lots of people listening to this would probably say, gee, I'd love to work there because everything sounds like it always always ends up positive and good and there's so much energy around new things. We probably all know that not everything works and you have to, as you said earlier, test and learn. So talk about the other side of, of your experience at Vimeo so far and what what hasn't really worked and, and, and how do you instill learning from that and embed that into your culture so that the experimentation can be done in such a way that you're taking smart bets uh, and looking for, you know, as you said earlier, evidence of where success will come from. Yeah, uh, there's so much that hasn't worked. And and honestly, uh, I really believe that building a muscle where you can parse the stuff that, you know, you have to have conviction about in order to be successful versus the stuff that you have a blind spot and you need to let it go. How do you differentiate between what's a bias and what's a conviction that that has evidence of something good? Yes, that is the eternal question. It's a hard one. So I think of it in a couple ways. And I, I'll give you examples. You know, I've acquired companies where we've had to, sh- to shut down a business unit within a year because we thought there was something there and we tried and we probably didn't try a hundred percent, you know, perfectly, but we tried hard enough that I, I could say, okay, even if I executed this a hundred percent, like it's not going to work because I'm ex, we're executing at 70% right now and I'm not seeing any signs. I've also conversely acquired companies that miserably failed our goals at year one out. And by year three, we're the most successful drivers of our business. Nobody gets the luxury of nailing a product out of the gate. It takes hard work. It takes iteration. It takes learning. And so to answer your question specifically, for me, it's a couple things. One, I think it's having smart people around you 
who will always push and question where you can openly ask yourselves that question. Because often a blind spot can exist. It doesn't usually exist for everybody, right? So somebody is seeing it. And if you create the communication channels where people are open and comfortable being like, I think that's a terrible idea. We should kill this business. Or we keep saying that this is true, but is it really true? I don't think so. That culturally is extremely important. And that's it's the opposite goes for conviction. The number of times that I have been skeptical, something launches and out of the gate, um, we're not seeing any success. And my instinct is, ah, let's just give up. Like, this isn't it. We got other things to do. Move on. And there's others on the team that have such deep-seated conviction And sometimes they can't prove it with numbers. But when I see some smart people who understand the business and industry the same way I do with that kind of conviction, it forces me to hold on. And so, you know, I think having a sort of that culture of folks around the room who will constantly have a different perspective than you is really important. And then the other piece is is really this question of execution, because in any any strategy, if it's failing, you never, what you don't know is, is it the idea that's not right or is it my execution? And so I think one of the things I've tried to do is whenever something doesn't work, I put my very best A players on it immediately. Because what I want to do is decide as fast as possible whether it's an execution problem or it's an idea problem. To the point, actually, that you know, the, the business that we shut down, I was the one in charge of running it. I put myself in charge because I, you know, I didn't want to have any excuses about, you know, well, we didn't have enough buy-in or we didn't have enough resources or there was internal red tape. So I just made myself responsible for the business for a few months. And, and you know, I think that that helped me at least parse whether it was an idea issue or an execution issue. This notion of Idea versus execution is is brilliant. I, we we often talk a lot about. I'd rather take a mediocre idea and execute it brilliantly than a beautiful idea and execute it poorly, because chances are the first will be far better than the second. And this notion of putting your A players against this most struggling parts of the business is that a system? Is that a, a systematized in your culture so everyone knows that that that's part of the operating model you have? It's certainly consistent. We, we, we've done it over the last few years. We continue to do it today. We're doing it right now. I think what is systematized is being very transparent with the organization about what's working and what isn't. And um, I actually have a framework. We open every meeting with what are the top three things that are working and what are the top three things that aren't working. And what's nice as, as, as that sort of permeated the org, now most people are using it in their meetings. And what's nice is it, it sort of destigmatizes the sort of topic of talking about what isn't working and turns it into something that's actually sort of like an intellectual conversation. So every month when we do a town hall, or we actually do them every two weeks, you can see, well, the same things that were on the what's working or what's working list are still there, or something's moved from not working to working, or, you know, something has been on the not working list for too long. And, you know, I find that having a, a, a sort of language, a shared language or structure for how you talk about opportunity as well as challenge is really, really freeing for an organization. And I do think it leads to more intellectual honesty. And I think it therefore leads to better decision making in the long term. It sounds like you have a very inclusive, very diverse, very non-hierarchical and open culture. Are those fair descriptors? And if so, um, what have you done to explicitly create that? 
Yeah, I, of course, I, I like to think that we have all those things. I also think we have a long way to go uh, as an organization, as a community, and just, I think, as corporate citizens um, to be more inclusive. It's hard because I always get asked this question. And, you know, we, we do have things. We, we do open Q&A at every town hall. They, it's anonymous. And people can upvote and downvote their questions. Now, that does create an openness for people to challenge executive leaders because their name's not on it. One of the most valuable things I've done is surround myself with an executive team that is very, very comfortable disagreeing with me openly. Uh, that sounds like it's not a big deal. It's massively big. Because when you're on a, in a meeting or a Zoom call and you know you see your boss challenge their boss, you are more likely to then challenge your boss. And it creates this, this sort of like openness in the culture. Never underestimate how far it goes to just say explicitly that this is a culture that you're trying to build, but you do have to back it up. You do have to be comfortable with folks disagreeing openly with you, uh, challenging things that you say. You, you know, you have to be a certain type of, I think, personality and, and leader to be comfortable with that and to actually genuinely encourage it. It's actually really hard to do. It's hard to not feel something. We're all human beings. Of course, you can get defensive when, when someone's challenging you. But, um, but that is something that if, if you were at Vimeo, you would see happen very often. And it comes with its own trade-offs, like any decision around cultural norms. But for us, I think it's been extremely valuable and something um, that I think has helped lead to that more inclusive of culture. So as you think back and you and you say, okay, what are the big lessons that I've learned um, along the way to get to where you are today relative to how you create new growth and innovate? What would be some of the things that would float to the top of that list? One would probably be to look where others aren't looking. If I if I really think about why I was able to champion the strategy that we have today at Vimeo and why I think Vimeo has been successful in that strategy is that we really sort of where everybody else was focused on original content and how you bring viewers, how you unlock the power of video to entertain and bring viewers, we were like, okay, wait, what about all the businesses that need to use video to communicate? And it wasn't sexy. This was before SaaS businesses were getting crazy multiples and it was like the best business model. You know, at the time, it sort of allowed us to not execute perfectly. It allowed us to throw things against the wall because nobody was really focused on that market. Another would be move fast. And, and you know, everyone says that, but I have never once looked back and thought, wow, I moved too fast. I always think I moved too slow. I wish I had done that earlier. I wish I had made that decision earlier. I wish I had changed this. It's always that. And I, and this is where I think as organizations scale, you add, you have to add so much structure and you have to add all these communication layers and get slowed down. And for me, as Vimeo scales, this is where I worry. I worry about our ability to be as fast moving as we have been. I think it's a, it's a major competitive strength of ours and we have to find the right ways to preserve it. Last question for you. What keeps you up at night? So I have been in positions and, and at Vimeo where what kept me up at night was sort of an existential question. Are we, do we have the right strategy? Do we, do we have the right idea? I'm happy to say I no longer think about that. Uh, what keeps me up at night is execution. And specifically within that, I will use the word focus. 
Because when you're in a market like ours, at a time like ours, the opportunity in video is huge. And we are this nimble, fast-growing, fast-moving company. And everywhere I look, I see opportunity. But I also know that to be great at something, you have to focus. And the thing that I worry about most as the leader of Vimeo is, am I providing enough focus for the company, for my teams, so that we can truly be great at something? And that is really hard because you don't want to miss, you know, the, the, the big boat and there's all these shiny objects around you. And it's hard sometimes to say no to ideas that are really valid, exciting and, and could be transformative. But that's the thing I worry about is, is too much distraction and, and just providing enough clarity and focus in times of enormous opportunity. Thank you so, so much. There's no question that uh, I think our listeners will have learned a tremendous amount from your insights, your experience, and your journey. Uh, wish you the very best of luck in, in, in your next uh, endeavors around uh, taking Vimeo to its, its, its heights. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Anjali and Eric, and thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. A transcript of this conversation will also be made available on the Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page on mckinsey.com, where you may also easily explore, filter, and search our library of previous episodes. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast episode, we encourage you to email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. If you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, you can also sign up on the bottom of our podcast collection page on mckinsey.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.